Good morning. Nice to see all of you. Much like Andy said, we're excited to see faces uh, we haven't seen in some time, perhaps even next week. That's a beautiful thing. Caught, made me emotional last week to see many of you all uh, in this place and just realize how meaningful it is to carry some of those relationships. And also today, if you're a dad, happy Father's Day. Uh, some of you probably left the house before anybody else was awake. And so if I'm the first, happy Father's Day. If you're sitting at home, uh, happy Father's Day to you as well. I, I don't think we should make light of the fact that during this last several months here, a couple of months here, uh, being a parent has been a unique adventure to say the least. And so uh, well done to all of you who have simply made it here uh, to this point uh, because you've navigated some unprecedented stuff. Happy Father's Day to you. We see you. We love you. And I hope you feel celebrated today. But we ask people every Father's Day, what would you like? And they say, please don't do a Father's Day talk. And so this is my gift to you. I'm not going to. Um, but I do want to be really honest uh, with all of you about where we're headed today in this message. I recognize that there is a lot of complexity going on in the world around us at this particular point and that you feel it. If you don't, you probably haven't left your house or turned on television or anything. Like it, it, it's, it's just there. And so in a world where it is so tempting at times right now to go, where do you stand on that issue or this issue? Where do you stand on this thing or that thing? Are you pro this? Or are you anti this right now? I am, wanna walk through this message today to give us a different path. I do, to give us a different path here as the church. And I'm just going to be really forthright and candid about my desire in that this morning. I want you to know that. So if you find yourself listening, going, where is he going with this? That's where I'm going. Uh, now you know. And let's jump in. So in the first century, right, way back in the first century, a child was born to a family of whom nobody knew their name. They were essentially nobodies. Nobody knew their name. Nobody had ever heard of them. They were humble people, neither royalty nor rich. But the child's birth was surrounded by rumor of extraordinary circumstances. Extraordinary circumstances. And as those rumors began to, to, to move around, as people began to understand and hear about maybe what had happened with some of the events and circumstances surrounding this child's birth, people became aware that perhaps this was a child who would grow up to do extraordinary things and be a gift to the people. And not only a gift to the people, but a gift to the world. And this was a really, really big deal. This caught the ear of the ruling king at the particular time who upon hearing that this child was somebody potentially extraordinary, upon hearing that this child born to a couple of nobodies would come to be an extraordinary somebody, found himself not seeing this child as a gift to the world, not seeing this child as potentially somebody who, who would do amazing things for the people, but saw this child as a threat. Because he knew that if this child continued to grow, if the circumstances and the, the rumors were true, that ultimately this would have a cost to him. There was a threat to him because the more powerful the child's message, the less powerful this particular ruler would become. The more potent and powerful and influential this particular child's life became, the more this ruler had to lose. He didn't see him as a gift. He saw him as a threat. And so he sought to destroy him, to shut him down. The child lived. He survived. And despite the adversity, was protected. And as this child grew older, he demonstrated a kind of wisdom about life as it's actually meant to be lived, about who God is, about the world around him in such a way that people marveled at this kind of wisdom. They marveled and astounded at the words that he had to say. They would gather at time, it, it, gather around him to listen. At that time, though, there were a group of religious leaders who had a tremendous amount of influence, Tremendous amount of following and a tremendous amount of, of kind of like cultural integrity, so to speak. 
And they, they basically constructed their view, their way of living their life uh, or to create an entire system around how to know exactly what was right and what was wrong based off of what they read in the scriptures, what they read in their Bible and what it meant to please God. And they built their entire lives, their entire system and the followings of people behind them based off of their premise, based off of the way that they followed these things. And so as they heard what this young man, this child who now grew to be a young man, what he had to say, they found themselves not seeing it necessarily as a gift of love and goodness to this world, but rather they found themselves threatened. Because what he was teaching seemed to potentially undermined some of the stands that they had taken. What he was teaching potentially undermined some of the interpretations that they had made and some of the system that they had created. And so, much like what had happened in the front end of this child's life, and now once again, as continued to happen, they sought to take him down. They sought to bring about his demise. When they looked at the young man, they they saw the loss of their power. They didn't see love being extended to the world. When they looked at the young man, they saw a loss of their potential influence that they had garnered. They saw a loss of their comfort and a loss of their security. And rather than allow what this young man was teaching to begin to take that from them, they decided to simply take him away. That's what their desire was. Rather than see him as a gift, they saw him as a threat. Rather than have something taken, they decided to take him and do away with him. And they came after him. But the young man had become a grown adult. He'd grown in influence. People called him teacher. They called him healer. Some people even went so far as to call him the one whom we had been waiting for, the person that they thought would be the greatest gift to this entire world, hope as they knew it, like hope in human flesh, one who would save the people. Groups of people began to look at him with their hope to reconnect with God, not, not to be seen as one who's far off. Some of them who were gathered around had experienced shame and guilt and condemnation in a whole host of ways, thought that they were outside the kingdom as far as you could possibly go in terms of relationship with God. And they came to him because something about him was pulling them in with love and goodness and kindness and compassion, calling all to draw near. And the religious leaders at the time, they would come to where he was speaking and they try to poke holes in what he was saying. They try to create some kind of situation where clearly there was a no-win moment here. With If you answer this one, you're wrong. If you answer it this way, you're wrong. And they'd put it in front of him and say, so what are you going to do here? Hoping to trip him up and undermine him so that they could discredit, disprove, and demolish what it is he stood for because he was a threat. He was one who was seeking to take away their influence, their power, what they'd accumulated. And so the man continued to travel from one town to the next, each time, everywhere he went, seeking to love and to bring goodness about to those whom he found. He healed the sick in extraordinary ways, performed miracles in extraordinary ways, found himself pulling people in who thought they were far out, loving people that, that nobody thought could be loved, lifting the weight of guilt and shame off the lives of people, as declaring as a profound message to them all that God absolutely and utterly loves them and that there's room for them in his kingdom. It was powerful. It was a movement. The man even sought to love and bless at times those who were the ones gathering around threatening him, the religious rulers themselves, and they missed it. They didn't even see it. It was lost on them. They only saw what they had to lose when they looked at the man. They only saw what would be taken away if the man's influence continued to grow, so they devised a plan. 
They would show up at these moments when he was speaking. They accused him of all sorts of things. They accused him of being possessed by the devil, being a minister of Satan himself. They accused him of hanging out with people that nobody should ever hang out with, of, of caring about people that nobody should care about, as to damage his integrity and his sense of character. They accused him of lying. They accused him of taking sacred truths and twisting them to his own desire. They accused him of a whole, all sorts of things. And they began to rally people around them. And they began to whisper into the ears of all kinds of people of what this meant and who this person was to such a degree that they weaponized their religion. Gathering those whom they had influence over, they weaponized their religion and spoke about what would be taken from them if this man were to grow in influence. And the people were whipped up into a fervor, into a frenzy. The man who had done nothing more than seek to actually love people to do extraordinary deeds by them and to seek to love the world at large was viewed as a hostile threat as people sought to take him down. The religious leaders went so far at one point in time as to bribe someone close to the man to betray him. And they did. And just like that, an innocent man was arrested and brought before the local officials. And as the official who would judge the man's fate approached the situation and looked at the man, when he saw him, he realized this is an innocent man. This is a man who'd done no wrong. And he saw this thing. When he looked at the man, he didn't see a threat. He saw an innocent man. But then he looked at the people and he recognized that they were shouting at him. More or less murder him or murder him. And he realized that there was such energy and such tension and such unrest in all of the people that if he let this go, if he did nothing about this, if he somehow made the wrong choice here, that kind of unrest would lead to his demise because he was a ruler and the people over him, right? The larger government, the larger king over him wasn't going to tolerate that kind of injustice, wasn't going to tolerate that kind of chaos. He'd lose every, his influence. He'd lose his power. And so then when he went to look back down at this man whom he'd formerly seen as innocent, he now what? Saw a threat. And he looked at this threat, this person, this man. And he thought, one last ditch effort to do this thing, to, to do right here. And he looked at the people amidst all their frenzy, and he said, only one person's going to die here, knowing that they had just convicted, you know, arrested and convicted a known murderer who was sentenced to death. And he goes, look, I hear you, but only one person is going to die here. Whom will you choose, this known murderer or this man? And the people, without skipping a beat, just defied all sense of logic for him and yelled, him. Murder him. Kill him. We want him. And they released the murderer and they took the man. And they arrested him. And then they humiliated him and they mocked him and spit upon him and they forced him to carry an ancient torture device upon his back through a city and up a hill where he was then nailed to the very cross that he carried upon his back. And there he died while people watched in mockery. That happens. Friends, this is the story, abbreviated though it may be, of how Jesus Christ came to lose his life, right? Of how Christ, whom we know as the Son of God, came to live and yet die in a horrible way. He was undermined and he was betrayed. He was accused and he was attacked. He was mocked and he was tortured and in the end was murdered simply to appease the religious system of the day to make everybody just calm back down and have their sense of normal. Because his life was stolen away, right? It's a tragedy. 
When we approach this story and we choose to view this, I mean, don't, don't think back of just ever, let your theology go for just two seconds, or at least all the facts and things that you might know about the larger story. When you, if you were to take in those details about what happened in the life of Christ and view them the way you view your lives right now, the way I view my life and the surrounding circumstances around me, we would find ourselves stepping back, surveying the grand story, the situation, the details, and we'd find ourselves saying, that is an absolute tragedy. An innocent man was killed unjustly, in a horrible way. Because, well, if it was us, that's how we'd see it, wouldn't we? If it was someone we love, that's how we'd see it. By our accounts, that's what's happened. That's what happened because it's awful and it's not fair. It's not okay. But for us who sit here today, something profound happens when we step outside maybe the normal way that we would see that situation or the normal way that we would see our lives, right? The normative human experience and the normative human perspective here of how we'd see those details surrounding the story of Christ. And when we open our eyes and our heart to actually see the upside down ways of God. See, something profound and extraordinary happens, and it's what I want us to hear. It's what I want us to see when we come to see how Christ viewed and perceived that story, the one that he actually lived, not a story from the scriptures, but his own life, his own situation, his own circumstances, his own things that were there and how he actually lived them. Because when we see that, when we have our eyes open to that, when we have our heart open to that, we'll come to see that this isn't just a story describing a moment from long ago. This is something profound that reaches into our hearts in the here and now and reminds us that the love of Christ that exists in us dwells powerfully even still that we might live our lives, not simply by the swirl of the world around us, but stepping forward into the upside down ways of God because if he's the one who created him, maybe in fact that's actually right side up. So I want you to hear those words today. I want you to take these in. They're found in John chapter 10, verse 17. Jesus, before he's ever crucified, before any of this stuff happened, goes to describe these events, goes to describe his perspective of how he views these particular events. And here's what he says. John chapter 10, verse 17. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And then verse 18, don't miss this. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. The charge that I have received from my father. Did you catch that? When Jesus describes what will come to pass, and he knows full well, I mean, we've got to pause and recognize this is, this is predating the crucifixion and the resurrection. This is Jesus knowing full well what is going to come to pass and looking at this and him speaking about those events that we would perceive as a tragedy, right? This is him acknowledging all that. When he speaks about it and he describes the fact that he will come to die, he doesn't say, and my life will be unfairly taken from me. He doesn't say, and the religious leaders will take my life like a flat-out robbery, but I will rise again. And he doesn't say, and I will be denied all of these things, and yet I will rise. What does he say here? How does Jesus view the events that would unfold? How does Jesus see the hardship that he is going to endure? He says this, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
of my own choosing, of my own autonomy, of my own desire, of my own accord. Christ says, my life isn't being taken away. It's being given away because of those whom I love. It's a profoundly different perspective than the one that we would often bring to the story, isn't it? Now, if I'm honest, given the way that I normally see things, the way I normally see my life, if I had the opportunity to go back and sit down with Jesus, knowing how this whole story unfolds, and this is me, just, it's super true. <laughs> I would sit down with him and I go, that's great, Jesus. I hear what you're saying here. And by the way, kudos to you, Jesus, for staying positive about a really dire situation. Like that, that's awesome that you're able to stay so upbeat about this whole thing. But here's the truth. That's what I tell him. I would. The truth is, no. No, you're actually going to be betrayed. You're actually going to have people undermine you at every step of the way. You're going to be arrested, mocked, and beaten. And then when you stand in front of a group of people whom you sought to love, whom you've done nothing wrong by, they will turn on you, declare murder you, and then they will take your life. This is what's going to happen, Jesus. Because this is how I read the story. This is how I read my life. So I read my world. I'd say those words. I'd find myself in that place. At the very least, I'd be like, power of positive thinking, Jesus. That's all that is. It's just a perspective. But, but we can't do that here. And I can't either. And here's why. This isn't just somebody's random articulation of a hope they have for their future. This is Jesus Christ we're talking about. This isn't his hope for what is true. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So when he's articulating this moment, this isn't just like Christ's perspective on how the world could potentially work. This is him who created the world talking to us about how this actually is. And he tells us that no one will take his life from him. He says, my life can't be taken from me because I have already chosen to give it away. There is something fundamentally different between giving something away and losing it. There is something fundamentally different between giving something away and having it taken from you. Even if the thing that you are giving away is the thing someone else seeks to take. Even if the thing you're giving away is the thing that someone else wants you to lose. There's something fundamentally different. Jesus says, my life can't be taken from me because I have already chosen to give it away. If someone takes it early, well, it's an early gift. This is what it is. See, these words that Jesus speaks here in John 10 are profound. And not just because they're such a vastly different perspective than maybe the way we see our world or the perspective we often hold. But here in John 10, it comes immediately after he says, I am the good shepherd. That's why in your passage, when he says, this is why the father loves me, what he's speaking to there is, is he's saying, the father so loves this world, so loves the people of the world and all of the sheep, the people within it, right? In this grand illustration of being a shepherd. So loves them that he has appointed me to be their shepherd. And so it's my responsibility to gather the flock. And then he talks about, and there's people that I want to gather that aren't even here yet. People who don't know. This thing is expansive. This love is broad. This love is massive. And he's entrusted this to me. And so what Jesus is saying is, and I lay it down. My father's pleased with me because I so love the very thing that he loves that I lay my life down on behalf of the sheep because I want them to know my love. And not just know it here, but experience it. Be transformed by it. Let it meet them in their reality, in their real everyday lives. So when faced with the opportunity to love people in their time of need, Christ declares, nobody takes this from me because I've already given it away. 
It's who I am. It's what's in my heart. It's what I'm here for. Friends, hear me when I say to those of us who sit here in 2020 in this room, nobody can take from you what you have already decided, what you have already chosen to give away. Don't miss that. It's really important. Nobody can take from you what you have already chosen to give away. You know, in the year 2009, so much of what I experienced as freedom in my life and the ability to live my life as I wanted to at any particular given moment uh, in time was flat out taken from me. I mean, it was like gone. There one minute and then gone the next. And I remember this crystal clear. It was in the month of October of that year on October 2nd where all of this was taken. You see, up to that time, I was a very social person who at times hung out with people like three or four times a week. There were people in my house. When my wife and I got married, we were like, we don't even put locks on our doors. Anybody who wants to come in at any point in time is welcome. I know it sounds crazy, but that's like was literally our mentality. We had people over all the time. We'd stay up until the wee hours talking and spending time with people and hanging out and all of those kinds of things loved it. I used to live my life with the driving question and actually live this way. What do I want to do and where do I want to go? That was like my biggest question that I had and I actually did it. Like whenever I wanted to do something, for the most part, I did it. And whenever I want to go somewhere, for the most part, I just did it. I used to be a very spontaneous person and loved like the freedom of all kinds of different randomness and choices and things and, and all of that stuff. And then on October 2nd of the year 2009, all of that was absolutely taken from me. And the person who took it, I know their name distinctly. Her name is Felicity Kramer and she's my firstborn daughter. She was born into this world and a nurse handed her to me and basically said, well, dad, remember the life you had? Now you have this one. And all my friends were there and they said, well, thanks for hanging out. And they all walked out of the room and there I was holding a child trying to figure all of this out. And all of a sudden I couldn't go do some of the things that I wanted to go do before because Felicity was hungry and needed to be fed. And all of a sudden, like, I couldn't, you know, just randomly live my life based off of exactly what I wanted to do or what I wanted. Because, you know, Felicity had nap times and feedings and things and all kinds of stuff and needs and needed to stay alive and all of this stuff that existed in there. I couldn't go do any of that stuff. And all of a sudden, the spontaneity that I used to enjoy, like, kind of, well, we became a very planned, structured machine. People who would come to me at that moment in time and call me and be like, hey, it's eight o'clock. You want to come hang out? I'd be like, what is this, Vegas? You got no responsibilities? What's going on? And then I thought I was going to get that freedom back. I thought I was going to get all that. It started to get a little bit better. And then the year 2011, September 18th, another nurse handed me a child named Harmony Kramer and said, well, dad, everything you learned on the first go, you're going to have to relearn on the second because none of it's going to work right here. I promise you, she's special. And there were no friends around to say, well, thanks for hanging out because I'd hung out in like two years at that point in time. And then they walked out of the room too. And there I was doing this thing all over again. You know, at times people have asked me, how are you, how are you guys doing with quarantine, you know, with COVID and just all of this type of stuff? And really, I think if I'm honest, it's just like having a third child we didn't expect. We've been doing this for a long time. In some ways, my wife and I have been quarantined for about 10 years now. I hope you know I'm joking <laughs> right now. If you don't and you think I'm a terrible person, I'll take it for just a second. But here, I say all of that because I wanted to illustrate a larger truth here. Uh, I really am uh, wanting to be a little sarcastic with you right now and illustrate a larger truth because it's there. It's here and I want you to see it. The things, here's the, here's, here's the truth of that story. That whole story I just told you wasn't, wasn't all, not all false. 
The truth is, is the life that I lived before my children was very different. It is. If any of you have had kids, you probably resonate with that a little bit. They change some things, don't they? I really did used to have people in my home at all points in time. Like, it's just how it was. Since having kids, well, that's a little different. I don't do so much of that anymore in the same way, right? I used to live really spontaneously, always driven by the question of what do I want to do and where do I want to go? And there's a lot of other questions I ask before I get to that one sometimes now. I really did used to you know, have people all around me and all this stuff. And now sometimes people find themselves saying, Ryan, where have you been? Or why haven't you hung out? And it's because I'm with my family in moments and doing some different things. My life looks very different now than it used to. Very different now than it used to. But here's the deal. I've never felt like that was taken from me. I've never found myself in a moment being like, I was robbed. These kids <laughs> and this situation robbed me because the truth is, is at some point in time, two little girls were entered, entered into my life whom I dearly loved to the degree that I was a little overwhelmed by the amount that I love them. And I, from the depths of my heart, just want them to have a good life where they know how loved they are. And I'm willing to give all kinds of things away on their behalf before they've ever even asked for it. Because I love them. Because I care about them. I've never even thought about it any other way. I have a hard time explaining. If you're a parent, you probably know this. It's hard to explain some of this sometimes. Every now and then I'll find myself talking with somebody who's still in a phase of life where you're going to school trying to build a life and trying to, trying to do some things. And they'll come to me and go, so Ryan, you remember how you used to, what are you doing now? And I'll go, I mean, none of that. I don't really do much of that anymore. And they all get kind of sad and look at me like, man, you like lost your life. Like, man, that was like taken from you. When are you going to get that back or whatever? And maybe there's a season and a time or whatever. But here's the truth. I don't experience it as a loss. There's a part where in my life right now, and like life has surprised me a lot in this particular regard. I feel richer now than I've ever felt. I feel like life is deeper now than it's ever been. And in a weird way, I have come to learn, this is an absolute surprising thing about my life that I've come to learn is that the more I've given away, it just seems like for whatever reason, the more I feel like I've come to have, even though a lot's changed. You see, nobody has taken my life from me because of those whom I seek to love. I've already given it away. It's already been given. And I love them. It's annoying sometimes how much I love them. <laughs> I can't help it. I just do. It's a powerful truth, friends. I'll say it again. Nobody can take from you what you've already chosen to give away. So why are we talking about this here today? Right? Why? Why are we spending our time here this morning talking about this particular topic? Well, we are talking about this topic because we are a church. Those of us who are gathered here and those of us who are scattered about, the individuals who gather together wherever you might find yourself today are those who make up the church. You are the church. We are those who are followers of Christ, disciples of him who looked at others and said, no one takes my life from me because I've already chosen to give it away. And the reality is, is the world is really complicated right now, right? Man, it feels and is pretty complicated at the moment. And the fact is, people around us, as I said, are having a hard time. 
all around us, depending on whatever side of any issue that you find yourself on, people are having a hard time. And while fear and fatigue set in, and while each of us in some way, shape, or form, because the larger voices around us are being classically conditioned to see other people, human beings, as our enemies, or as threats to us, or as political positions, or as this or as that, and miss the fact that they're made in the image of God and love, there's this rising voice on all sides of any issue that exists out there right now. Any side, any issue, there is a voice on all of it that simply starts to say, well, they, whomever the they might be in the situation, are trying to take such and such away from me. And so there's a rising defensiveness by nature. There's a rising posture that exists amongst us, all of us. It's there. You can feel like there's a threat. You feel this when you go outside at times right now, that people don't see each other quite the way they saw each other previously, that there's just a tension and some potential view of threat of, of like, it's just society feels a little different right now. The world is a little complicated right now. We should be honest about that. And the truth is it's a valid perspective. That's not a stupid perspective. That's a valid perspective. Because there is real loss, isn't there, in our culture around us? There is real limitation. There is real fear. There are real judgments being made about real people. And you can't help but feel, right? Are you like me? You can't help but feel that in any of these situations, when you think about what we will choose as a nation, what we will choose as a people, or what we will choose as individuals, have we come to recognize that any choice we make will have cost to it here? There's no clean answers on all of this stuff at this particular moment right now. We're just in it. It's complicated. That's why it's a valid perspective. That's the world around us. We are the church. I mean this. We are followers and disciples of Christ. We are the church. While people around us raise a voice of fear or a voice of indignation about what is being taken away, we have the opportunity to be a voice that declares what we choose to give away because of those whom we love. We have the opportunity to hold a completely different voice here because of Christ who holds us. We can be a voice that says, nobody can take from me what I have already chosen to give. And this is the desire of my heart because I see you and I love you and I choose this. We can be a message that when there is no good answer to solve all of our problems, that the love of Christ is still the way, no matter what side of the political spectrum that we fall on. And friends, we can be a reminder that the grand story of Jesus Christ is not one of a life taken, but of a life given as a declaration of love and of compassion to the entire world. And we can remind people that that love is just as powerful and just as potent right now as it ever has been. And man, is it needed. Man, is it important. Because the truth is, right now, there are so many hurting people on whatever side of whatever it is they fall on are scared. It's true. There are so many hurting people who've turned their hurt into anger and are lashing out. There's so many hurting people that have turned their hurt into defensiveness and are protecting themselves. There's so many hurting people who feel confused, who feel overlooked, who feel judged. There's so many people who are afraid of their health in our current climate with COVID and are wondering if others care about them. There are so many people that are afraid for their mental well-being because of what quarantine and actions of COVID have cost them and what's been difficult about this situation. And there's a lot that people are facing around you 
that you're facing, but that people around you are facing right here and right now. I found myself talking to a person recently who said they went to the store for the very first time because they've got some pre-existing conditions when it comes to COVID and are really nervous. And they went to the store for the very first time and they started to feel panic well up inside of them and they just didn't know what to do. And they were so scared. And they said, I'm trying to like figure out how to do life right now and I just don't know how to do it. It was just an honest perspective. They were scared. The very same day, I found myself talking to another person and she broke down crying in front of me. And she said, Ryan, I know some people are scared of dying, but this, all this change, all this stuff has been so hard for me. I feel like I'm dying right now. And by the look of her, she wasn't lying. She was sincere and meant it. My heart broke for both of those individuals in that moment. I don't know what the right choice to make everybody happy in that particular situation is. Do you? But I don't know that that's the point. See, neither of those moments with either of those two individuals are about anything that's being taken from me. That's their experience as they're expressing it to me. And I'm a follower of Christ who has this powerful moment where I get to choose to take on the very heart of Christ. And the reality is, both those people are dear, wonderfully and fearfully made in the very image of God. And I love them. And so the question that I get to ask myself is what can I do and what do I have that because of love, I would choose to give away. It is a powerfully different perspective here, friends. What can I do and what do I have that because of love, because of whom I love, because of whom I choose to love, I can give away. I will give away. And you know, in both those situations, it's going to be different for me what I end up doing. For one, it's probably going to be sitting six feet apart wearing a mask and hearing, hearing their story in such a way that allows them not to keep it all locked in here. For the other, it's having some fun and spending some time uh, loving that person in a way that they know that they're not alone and that some of this change and stuff, that it is hard and that they're not stupid and they're not ridiculous for feeling the ways that they do because they're not positions of an issue. They're people trying to get through this just like me and just like you. What can I do and what do I have that because of love, I would choose to give away? In a week, what have people showing back up in here? The reality is the notion that Pima County required masks for everybody in public spaces is gonna get real complicated real fast. I know that. And we can be a church who is looking at that particular moment saying like, well, here's where I stand or here's, where, but I'm, friends, what can I do and what do I have? that because of love, I would choose to give away. When it comes with racial injustices and things in our society at large right now, am I for the police? Am I for black people? Do I love them or do I love? No, 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 no. What can I do and what do I have that because of love, I would choose to give away? When it comes to economics, when it comes to political agendas, when it comes to the tensions in our own families, when it comes to our friendships, when it comes to our marriages, when it comes to the things that we face, what can I do and what do I have that because of love I would choose to give away? Because what you'll find is that you start rising to the occasion that is your life, freely giving something versus defending and protecting something all the time. What you'll find is that the thing you center and ground yourself on in that particular moment is the love of Christ who did not see his life as something to be lost, but as something to be given. And friends, people need that. There's someone in your life right here and right now on whatever side of the spectrum that they fall on who needs that from you. You're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to find somebody. 
Maybe they're in your household. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's a friend. And before they ever become a position, before they ever become an argument, before they ever become a this or a that, they are someone whom you love, who you have the opportunity to ask the question individually with each person, what can I do and what do I have that because of love I would give away? And here's what happens. If we as a church don't get sucked into the vacuum of all the other things and we keep holding the heart of Christ and bringing this not just to our corporate collective church life, but to our individual lives as expression of the church of God, do you know what kind of powerful sentiment that makes? Not about how valid is, is church, not about how important is causes, but about how important is the love of Christ that flows in me and through me that is a gift to give during dark times. Friends, you are the light of the world. May the light of your love be powerful in the dark. Let's pray. God, we come before you today. And it's complicated, isn't it? I don't know, maybe it's not for you. It is for us. And so Lord, we seek wisdom today. We seek quiet in our hearts and in our minds for just a moment here. Help us to center in on the love that you have for us, for the world around us. Open our eyes to the people around us that we would love them, that we would care for them. And help us to bring a different question to our lives and trust you with the outcome, God. We can't control all of this, but we know it's in your hands. And so we seek to be your church here this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray all of these things. Amen. Thanks, friends. For those of you that are here, we'll see you soon. And for those of you online, thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon.